We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks upcoming matchup against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Back to back home and home matchups against the Cavs, one on Tuesday in Cleveland and one on Wednesday at Madison Square Garden. Joining me to preview these back-to-backs in just a little bit will be Justin Rowan, our old friend who covers the Cavaliers for the Cavaliers on his podcast, The Chase Town. He co-hosts that show with Carter Rodriguez. We did a couple of crossovers with them during the playoffs last year where we went to their show. They went to ours. Uh, Justin was also gracious enough to do an exit interview after that series uh, in which the Knicks defeated the Cavaliers in five games and talk about what went wrong from the Cleveland perspective. Uh, So we're back again talking about a matchup that's highly anticipated, but unfortunately will not feature both teams at full strength. So if you didn't hear yesterday, it's back right about 20 minutes before we recorded this interview, Chris Fedor, who covers the Cavaliers for Cleveland.com, reported that Jared Allen, Ty Jerome, and Darius Garland are going to miss the first game at least with injuries. They've missed the Cavs the last couple games, I believe, uh, including Donovan Mitchell, who was questionable for this game against the Knicks. At least, again, the first game against the Knicks. Who knows what happens when they go to Madison Square Garden? Um, somehow people just magically decide to be healthy when it comes to playing on Broadway. But Donovan Mitchell may miss at least the first game. He just missed their most recent game against the uh, Indiana Pacers in which they lost. In fact, to give you an idea of what the Cavs have been up to to start the season, they're one and two. They've lost two games at home, a game against the Indiana Pacers in which they lost, uh, giving up 125 points and a game to the Oklahoma City Thunder in which Donovan Mitchell had 43 points, but Shea Gildas-Alexander, I believe, had 34 and 12. So there was that loss. And the game they won was in Brooklyn by one point. So the Cavs are not off to the greatest of starts. Uh, Justin and I get into some of the good and some of the bad of what started. Obviously, the injuries are going to put a damper on what should have been a, a, a good matchup. This game is on national television on Tuesday on TNT. Uh, but we do get into the obvious Knicks and Cavaliers connections, which include Donovan Mitchell and the fact that he hasn't extended with the Cavs yet and the apparently best kept secret or worst kept secret among NBA scuttlebutt circles that Donovan Mitchell is going to be available next summer. Uh, I have the conversation with him. I don't want to have this conversation every time the Knicks play the Cavs. So we have it once and then we move on and potentially next summer, if it comes up again, we'll talk to Justin. How's that? So let's get into it. My conversation previewing this back-to-back matchup against the Cavaliers with Justin Rowan of the chase down. Enjoy. Mr. Justin Rowan, welcome back to the Knicks Film School pregame show. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm pumped to be doing this with you. We'll we'll do a little home at home, just like the Cavs and Knicks. We'll have you on mm. Chase Down a little later this week. So i uh, excited to talk about these two games, although some of the air has been taken out of the balloon already. So let's start there. Breaking news 
maybe 20 minutes before we started recording officially Darius Garland and Jared Allen will not play in this game along with Ty Jerome. Donovan Mitchell is questionable. That seems to be the story of the Cavs early season about with injuries that have affected uh, players being able to to play basketball in their first couple of games. Um, Anything concerning or is it just more annoying that for our matchup that the Cavs won't be fully healthy? I mean, it is concerning because it, it's, you know, it's injuries and it's the type of injuries that tend to linger, right? Like you have a bone bruise in the ankle for Jared Allen, uh, something that, you know, it was giving him some trouble uh, when they were starting to ramp up in training camp. So they decided to shut him down and play it safe so that this isn't a recurring issue. Uh, Darius Garland, hamstring injury, uh, sat him for the last preseason game. I, I guess he re-aggravated it against Brooklyn and, and is now, you know, has missed the the last two games and, and is probably going to miss these two, I would guess. Um, mm. You bring in Ty Jerome so that you have depth at the point guard position. He hasn't been available now. He he missed the game against Indiana and will miss this game against the Knicks. Uh, and then Donovan Mitchell hamstring injury it as as well. So this is a uh, this is unfortunate timing for a team that you know when you're projecting out of okay, what's the easiest path to give yourselves long-term success to, to set yourself up well for playoff success. It's having a good regular season, you know, giving yourself an easier matchup in, in the first round. So um, it, it's certainly discouraging from that aspect, but you have to assume that, that they're at least playing it safe and, and this is going to give them a chance to, to get healthy, but certainly reduces that margin for error. And for those who missed it, in the most recent game for the Cavaliers, they played the Indiana Pacers, our old friend Obi Toppin. And none of these players played in that game, and they lost by 12. The Cavs are 1-2 and two to start the season, um, which include two home losses, right? The OKC That's loss correct. was at home as well. So it's almost an inverse of the Knicks' 1-2 start in that the Knicks have two road losses, one uh, one home loss and one road loss. The home loss being on opening night against a team a lot of people are picking to win the title. Um, the second loss was the second night of a back-to-back in New Orleans where they just didn't hit a shot and didn't get a call. So you, you don't want to excuse it, but you can at least can understand it. Yep. If you're going to be off on a night, it's down in a, 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 a city that you want to be in in hollow weekend. Um, but the point being both teams come into this matchup one and two with different levels of concern. And with the Knicks, it's, it's more like the excuse isn't really built in with the injuries. So how do you look at the Knicks coming into this as, as a matchup? I know it's early to be asking about, you know, how do you feel about the Knicks? But I guess on behalf of Cavs fans, is, were you really looking forward to these two games being like, oh, we'll stick it to them early? Or because it's early, it's good that these games are getting out of the way now? Um, God, I mean, I was definitely looking forward to these. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you want to see the early returns. I mean, you can't read too much into early season matchups. Like the Cavs last year beat Boston twice early in the year. And look what that ended up meaning, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. and, and one of those came without Darius Garland. This is actually three straight years that Garland has missed the uh, opening weekend or, or the home opening weekend for, uh, for the Cavs. Um, so that's, you know, a, an unfortunate trend. But yeah, I, I was looking forward to this matchup. I, I was interested in, in seeing... You know, the, the changes, right? Like, okay, what is Evan Mobley going to do if they defend him the same way where, uh, you know, Mitch Rob just plays in the drop, dares him to, you know, be a scorer and take away every single passing option. Okay, what does that look like? What does it look like with Max Struess integrating in the offense? What does, you know, a healthy Isaac Okoro mean for this matchup? And we're just not going to get a ton of those answers. Yeah. Um, obviously, I, I hope that Donovan Mitchell at least plays. I, I think you can make things interesting there. Um, but it's going to be more what happens individually with, you know, some of the matchups, like maybe you can still look at at Mobley versus Robinson and, and, and that sort of thing, but you're not going to be able to get a whole lot from it. And, and this is an unfortunate thing. Like this happened last year when uh, the Cavs played the Knicks, like there was always weird context. There was always guys missing. It was always, you know, they they got the flu and Garland's out or or someone's injured and out of the lineup. Like we we never really got a, a fully healthy meeting of these teams and that type of context just makes the analysis so much more annoying. Especially during the regular season, you know, like even in the playoffs, we oh it's true. Even in the playoffs, we didn't really get a fully healthy because Randall 
was was banged up going in. I know it didn't yeah. end up mattering at the end of the day, but um, yeah, and, I was looking and, forward. And Okoro, right? Like Okoro, Okoro got hurt too. O- yeah, Okoro missed a, a month uh, leading into that series, and it was questionable dealing through pain throughout. Uh, Dean Wade, who you know is now you know once again healthy, looking like himself, and helpful. Dean Wade uh, couldn't even lift his uh, arm over his shoulder uh, w- without pain with his broken collarbone. So. Uh, you know, there were definitely uh, in injuries on both sides. Donovan Mitchell, you know, playing with a broken finger uh, throughout that series as well. So that mm. that was a factor. So, you know, it, it's annoying. It's one of the realities of today's NBA, unfortunately. But yeah, it's it takes some wind out of the sails of this matchup for sure. Well, let's talk about the vibes around the Cavs before we get into the vibes around the Knicks, which I will just say before we before I ask the question, like. The Knicks schedule to start the season is brutal. Like it's these back-to-backs against the Cavs. Then they play Milwaukee on Friday. Then they play the Clippers. Like there was two in six percent, one in five, two in four potential to start the season for the Knicks. And I, I guess Knicks fans are just not going to apologize if they get a, 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 a an advantage in the fact that the Cavs are bang, banged up for this yeah. matchup. However, I was excited to see a matchup of these two teams potentially being healthy. Um, as far as the vibes around the Cavs going into the season, as we transition to more general talk <laughs> about the team, um, what would you say is the biggest overreaction to the first three games uh, from from Je- from Cavs fans in general? Like, what do they like the most? What do they dislike the most? Uh, what would you say? Yeah, I, I think you know, um, obviously Evan Mobley is a major point of, of focus for for Cavs fans, and um, I. I came into this year kind of trying to temper some of those expectations because when we were doing our season preview, I listed it as my biggest source of angst when Mm. when it comes to the Cavs this season because we all understand that Evan Mobley is the most important part of, you know, making this go from a regular season team to one that can succeed in the playoffs. But it's also a lot of pressure to be putting on a 22-year-old when, especially with bigs, you're probably four years away from your prime and it's not necessarily the warriors two timelines type of thing, but it's, you know, it's a lot of responsibility that's going on his shoulders. And for me, what I was hoping for and my expectations for this year is that Evan Mobley would be a more assertive version of kind of the same player that we saw last year. Like that, that's my expectation. I don't expect him to all of a sudden become a great three point shooter or make these massive, massive changes from, from a skill set perspective. But what we really want him to be is, you know, a seven foot version of Bam Adebayo, right? Where mm. he is that offensive hub, uh, particularly, um, you know, operating out of the high post. Um, we we had talked about that throughout the summer and then we were thrilled on media day when we were talking to Max Struess and he was saying, yeah, we've been sitting there and we've been watching like tons of film of, of me and Bam and, and trying to implement that kind of stuff. And the two man game with Mobley and Struess has been amazing to start the year. Uh, Max Struess ha- has looked phenomenal with the Cavs. Uh, Mobley has had three tough matchups when it comes to the centers he's playing against with Nick Claxton, who I, I personally, I think he's a top and defensive player. Uh, Chet Holmgren is, you know, one of those one of a kind mm-hmm. freaks. And uh, Miles Turner is probably like the worst defensive center that he's gone against. And um, he's going to have another tough matchup against Mitchell Robinson, someone who obviously I have a lot of respect for. So um, it's been interesting to, to see these early matchups. He's averaging 19 and 12, you know, getting uh, the, the assists as well. Hasn't really had Darius Garland there to, to make life easier for him. But um, just, you know, expectations relative to you know realistic expectations i would say with mobley um that that seems to be the biggest overreaction because especially when you got guys like wemby and chet who you know came into the nba as higher higher touted prospects and they're coming in more skilled offensively right off the bat um i I think there there's some angst in comparison there but um you know evan mobley still very far ahead of schedule in my opinion I was really curious to hear about the two man game. So you actually took one of the questions I had about how well he's paired with Max Drews. That was the thing I told you when I came on your pod during the summer that would have pushed me to potentially pick the Cavs as a, as a one seed in the conference. We, of course, talked before Milwaukee and Boston made some transactions afterwards. But yep. um, the fact that I'm I'm more afraid of guys five through eight in the Cavs rotation is is something to consider and like to go out and, and say this like one of our one of our staffers actually picked the Cavs as their their one seed for the upcoming season so shout I out to, to 
I did well, too. So and you because, went, so you stuck with it is what you're saying. Yeah. Cause looking at it, if I'm power ranking, I'd have the Cavs a tier below Boston, Milwaukee, but mm-hmm. Boston, Milwaukee are thin teams that have guys that typically miss like 20 games per season. So, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, Cavs advantages continuity. Um, they're probably going to, they have more depth than those teams. This is a formula that can work in the regular season. So when you talk about like an angst from this early season, I certainly think this is something they can bounce back from, but it just removes that margin for error. If you have late or mid-season injuries where guys are missing some time and you have a 500 month, you no longer have that early season cushion that you were kind of hoping for. So it makes the path a whole lot harder. But yeah, like I I expected this to be a really, really good regular season team. So what does a disappointing season look like for the Cavs? Is it, does the regular season not, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but say they're a three seed again Mm -hmm. and they get to the second round or even I guess the conference finals would be the best case scenario. Um, But they get eliminated. Let's say they get eliminated in the second round again, or if they're a one seed to get eliminated, they go like, well, I guess I'm creating the scenario that actually would be the worst case scenario. If they get eliminated in the first, I guess what are the expectations for this season and what would be a disappointment look like? Yeah, I think the regular season matters, maybe not necessarily from a wins and losses standpoint, but I think you want to establish like a bedrock of, all right, we're working on adding more variety to our offense. Because I I think Mm -hmm. from a personnel perspective, it limited what the Cavs were able to do last year. I thought they did a really great job of building offense off of their bread and butter. You know, a lot of pick and roll, a lot of horns, a lot of um, too big action. And they had great, Stats when it came to cutting and, and all this off ball stuff, all their shock quality metrics were among mm. the best in the league. Like they were top three in almost every single category when it came to shock quality. And a lot of that was the playmaking talent and, and the shock creation that they had. But so much of that came anchored off of the pick and roll and they just didn't have a lot of spacing. So when you took away that pick and roll, when Evan Mobley wasn't as effective in, in that Knicks series, and in my opinion was probably the biggest point of failure offensively, all of a sudden you didn't have other pitches that you could go to. Like the route tree was limited to, to use a, a football mm. analogy. And I think that uh, one of the early season returns that's encouraging for the Cavs is okay. Max Struess is bringing a, a lot more to the table, right? From a, a playmaking standpoint, from a rebounding standpoint, he's averaging nine a game. He's already had two 20 and 10 games uh, to start the season. Isaac Okoro is one of the most encouraging things in you know, yeah, I, I see that smirk. I, I see you laughing, but I just, I, I you know, I, I have to, I, I, it was natural, the smirk, you know. Yeah, it, you, you, you're right to do so. But I, I think people forget that he is the same age as Mobley. And one mm. of the advantages of bringing in guys that can shoot is he is no longer the third best shooter on the court in the starting lineup. And it's actually been interesting what JB Bickerstaff's been doing because now that he doesn't have to stay in the corner for spacing purposes, he's actually being used as a trigger man offensively. Even when Garland and Mitchell were on the court, he'd come up, run offense at the top, and really using him as like the Bruce Brown in this offense. And the fact that he's getting assists, mm. the, he's uh, increases rebounding uh, in a considerable way. Uh, one of my favorite stats over the last hundred games, he's shooting thirty nine percent from three. Uh, the, the the form has been sped up. He's taking those shots above the break rather than just in the corner as well, right? Like we're just seeing a more confident and assertive version of him trying to become a two way player. And honestly, I think it's going to end up costing the Cavs a little bit because they, they had the opportunity to to sign an extension. If he keeps playing like this, he's going to earn a bigger deal. Did Cavs fans? How vocal were they about wanting to sign him to an extension? Or they because we have our own version of that with Emmanuel quickly. Yeah. Um, so uh, we heard a, we had a long therapy session for a couple of days after the Knicks didn't extend quickly. What was the Cavs fans reaction to a Yeah. It, it's funny because there actually was more of, man, I wish we could have got one done. And, and the comparison I made and I've compared them to this guy a lot is Tristan Thompson, where the Cavs had the opportunity to sign Tristan Thompson to an extension. They did with Anderson Verjao, and the next summer they had to sign Tristan to a larger deal uh, because he had a breakout at that point. And Okoro in a lot of ways kind of is that wing Tristan Thompson, the guy that completes a lot of these lineups. So, um, you know, I, I, I was actually surprised that there was so many be- people being like, man, would have liked to see that because he has been an incredibly divisive player for the Cavs fan base. But hmm. that goes to show just how different he has looked in the preseason. And 
I, I think the reason why there isn't a lot of angst over it is the Cavs, even though, you know, it's not a glamour market in Cleveland. One of the advantages they have is Dan Gilbert is one of the most uh, wealthy uh, owners in the league. And as chairman of this team, he's never really let talent go for financial reasons. So I, I fully expect, you know, if Isaac Okoro is going to earn a, a larger contract, more power to him. You you already have value deals when it comes to like Darius Garland, Jared Allen, all these other guys. Um, if Isaac Okoro has a season that, that merits a larger contract, they're going to give it to him. Yeah, that's, I think that's where we landed too with quickly. I think the, I'm sure you know this as well as, as well, the, the new CBA world that we enter into and, and the leverage that restricted free agents potentially aren't going to have yeah. and how much it's just going to flat out eliminate the middle class. It's, it's almost like, like the Knicks didn't extend quickly because he wanted to bet on himself, but it, it's almost like a team's going to have to overpay for him mm-hmm. in order for the Knicks to lose him. And if it's not considered an overpay, they could just like the Cavs, they could just match it at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, James Dolan has different issues than um, has things you can complain about with him for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, he's never been someone that's afraid to spend money as well. So I, I yeah. guess the, we find ourselves in the same boat there. Um, and, and quickly is my pick to win six man of the year uh, when, when you did our prediction. So like I'm, I'm a massive fan of him and uh, maybe there's, you know, flexibility components too. that the Knicks are in every single trade conversation when, when it comes to, to stars that are or aren't available. Um, so who knows? Maybe, maybe that was a, a factor there as well. I'm saving the conversation that I told you we were going to have for the very end. I promise. Oh my God. I threw you a perfect lob. Jeez. Uh, no, no, no. I made a point on my rundown. We will talk about Donovan Mitchell and his next summer and potential at the very end. Cause I'm sure you're sick of talking about it. Let's keep it to basketball for now. Okay. Um, but that was a perfect segue. I appreciate it. But I decided to bring it back out and actually run a play. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I actually want to get your perspective on because I know you said you you picked the Cavs to be the one seed and yep. I, I appreciate the confidence. Um, I'm, I'm not even moving gonna, off it with these injuries. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say because it's still three games in, so you don't know what like Milwaukee yeah. and Boston could potentially hit an injury bug later this season as well. So what was like? Take me in the moment. Your reaction when the Bucks get Dame and then two days later the Cavs get Drew Holiday. As far as you know, what 
I actually felt more confident. I I felt more, really that, that's that's when my take. That's when I like solidified it from them being like, you know, maybe in the two, three to, to one, just because. You know, oh, OK. So yeah. let, me, let me rephrase the question, because it's less about the one seed I'm asking. Okay. I thought the Cavs could have been a sneaky finals team. And Ooh. then these two guys, these two teams end up upgrading their roster. I feel significantly. And it changed from like, right, there's a clear one two, maybe with some injury luck in the playoffs. But the ceiling for the Cavs, for me, at least felt like the second round. From yeah. your perspective, did you still have any kind of confidence that, you know what, we still can beat either of these teams in a seven game series if we were to get, which, I mean, to be honest, you might have to be both on the way to the finals. Is, is there still that ceiling of the finals even after those transactions were made? I didn't really feel that there was a final ceiling. Like, I, I really felt that oh, okay. it was conference finals. Um, yeah. And obviously, like the path, like, if, they have to play each other as the two, three and, and okay. You just have to win the, uh, beat the winner of the four or five. Like that's an easier path. And, and you can see a conference finals appearance. I think the most important thing for this season and, and it's what we said in our season preview is they can't look outclassed in a series this year. Like I think winning mm-hmm. around is that's, that's the floor. That's what needs to occur. They need, need to go out and they need to beat someone in a playoff series. But I would rather take, Losing in seven games in the second round in like a head to head awesome series against Boston or Milwaukee. I would rather take that than appearing in the conference finals and getting shelled like they did against the Knicks, where it's a five game series. It's not really competitive. Like I, I would rather lose earlier, but you can talk yourself into being okay, just a little more internal growth away. We still have, you know, we have a first round pick this year. We have our mid-level exception again. Like we can add even more talent to what's already a deep team that we feel good about. Like you can talk yourself into that, but they need to be competitive. They need to, you know, show that they are on that level. And um, in terms of like ceiling, ceiling, like maybe it's a 2015 Warriors where, you know, the previous year they won 51 games and lost in the first round. And then they played four rounds of the playoffs where the opposing starting point guard got hurt every single round. And then, you know, Kevin Love goes down too and JR breaks his thumb and Shump pulls his groin. Um, Maybe you could have like that kind of a run where there's just outlier among all outlier type of health luck. Um, But straight up healthy like I, I still think you know the the level of experience the the high level talent that those teams have having the best player in those series like that stuff still matters man yeah no I agree and I think to the even the most ambitious of Knicks fans I think it it can be somewhat tongue-in-cheek people predicting conference finals or anything anything that that far into the season um i have him in the second round but i also when i, I made in when i made that prediction i even said like like there's a world where this ends in the first round and that's the thing they need to make the all in trade like yeah. a step backward to a loss in the first round it's to a team that clearly has the best player in the series you know and as a result you then realize look we 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 hit our ceiling with this team we now need to raise the ceiling um yeah even further. And and, the only way we do that is with a trade. And it's tricky with the Knicks too, right? Because you have so many assets, you have so much young talent that that trade could happen at any point, right? Like that could happen this season. And as is, I pick the Knicks to be my four seed. Like I I feel like this is really good deep team that's built to, to do well in the regular season. And you know, if it's Knicks Sixers in the first round and there's no Harden and like all due respect to Terrence Mann, I don't think he moves the needle as much as Harden. If that's what eventually materializes, like mm-hmm. I, I'd probably pick the Knicks in that series, even though the the Sixers have the best player in that series. But um, you know, things could change. That player could be on the Knicks for all we know, right? Um, so it, it will be interesting to to kind of see how this um, how this season materializes, and also just how this Eastern Conference arms race uh, continues to develop. Well, speaking of that player that could be on the Knicks that takes a leap and potentially gives them a star, um, let's talk about your boy. And he's technically my boy, too, because he's on my basketball team. But this summer, he played for your national basketball team. And many a New Yorker that is a fan of R.J. Barrett and a fan of the New York Knicks uh, has taken the eight-game stretch of the playoffs that started with game three against the Cavs at the Garden 
where RJ played well is is honestly better than he did potentially played all season outside of like a moment here and there. Um, and then carried it over into FIBA and then has carried it over into this season so far. And objectively, as someone who has been critical of him in the past, man, the the first three games, the process is just so much better. The passing out of his drives has been what we've been asking him for. He's gone one on three and taken a layup that has no chance entirely too many times in his career. <laughs> And this year, he's actually passing out of those situations and finding guys in the corners that it's exactly the type of player that is needed to be unlocked. And the thought is that between the playoffs and FIBA, that's the type of high leverage situations he needed to be in. Mm -hmm. As someone that I'm going to assume watch FIBA more intently than I did from the Canada perspective, <laughs> um, what did you see from RJ this summer when he was on your team that, you know, potentially could lead to a carryover like that? Yeah, man, those games were early. So some of them. Oh, I'll believe be me, I, I know. I, I, I that's why I tapped out. <laughs> yeah, I did not watch all those live. Um, you know, the thing about RJ is he's he's not afraid to make the decision. And, and sometimes I think that's one of the toughest hurdles for these guys to overcome. Like he is someone that's not scared of the moment. And you know, that comes with positives and negatives. Um, but you're right. Like, I, I think he is someone that the, I think early season, I, I've watched uh, one and a half uh, of his games. I, I watched the, the Boston game as well as, you know, the second half against Atlanta. Um, he, he's someone that's getting to the line. He, he as you said, that I think the passing vision is good. Um, I think some of that's been enabled by maybe his handle being a little bit sharper, or at least sharper than I recalled. Um, but that type of shot creation and, and you know being able to apply that rim pressure, I do think that that's going to make things easier for the Knicks because you guys lived on a lot of isolation last year, like mm -hmm. a lot of isolation. So having you know that that guy that can play as a bit of a playmaking forward. I think that really can alleviate a lot of stuff for you guys. And uh, again, I think the three-point shooting is going to come in waves. Like I, I, I don't expect it to ever be very reliable, but kind of like Isaac Okoro, if if he's providing those other things, if he is giving you consistent rim pressure and getting to the free throw line to maybe supplement some of that efficiency, if he's giving you the playmaking, if he's uh, attacking the glass as well, I think that makes you feel a whole lot more comfortable and. Everyone like the eyeballs popped at the time of the extension, but like, look what guys are getting now, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, it's the the math is completely shifting the, the percentage of the salary cap that, that he makes up. I, I don't think is astronomical, so um, I, I think that that's as much as a one and two start is frustrating. It, it's something that I think Knicks fans can feel good about early season. Well, if you're looking at a barometer for this season, and you brought up the extension that RJ got. A lot of people that are very pro Emmanuel quickly and wanted him to get an extension looked at the RJ contract and be like, that's the minimum. Like he's better than RJ. He was more important than RJ last year. Like that, you can't tell me that four for 90 is the number for quickly. If RJ is getting four for 107 guaranteed with bonuses up to 120. Yeah. And if RJ goes ahead and has a season like what the FIBA was and what the playoffs was, now that changes the math completely because then quickly can't go anywhere near the RJ extension because RJ's now not only, that impacts, not only playing to his value, but playing more leverage. so to yep. his value, you know? Yeah. You know? And, and I'm sure quickly's representation would say, but that's not who he was when he signed this. But mm -hmm. I mean, that's the tough thing when you're talking about the, these rookie extensions is you're not paying them for who they are at that point. It's what you believe their potential can be. And I still think like Emmanuel quickly is just a special, special talent because there's just not a lot of microwave guys that also give you elite defense. And, and the, the fact that he can bring that to the table, I, I think is something that's really unique and, and he's got great size uh, for a guard, but yeah, RJ is an interesting development because I, I felt last year that Quentin Grimes was maybe better than RJ. Like, at least the, the, a conversation could be had. And I wasn't sure if that was going to continue into this season and early season returns. I mean, RJ's clearly been that guy. That's the three game overreaction, I think, for Knicks fans right now is it's Grimes. No, 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 the RJ. They, okay. There's like, this is a thing. Like, he's better. That, that it's plain and simple. He's better. What we saw mm -hmm. last year. Something clicked in the playoffs and like that fun question, like, will it be bittersweet if the thing that clicked for, you know, 
Canada's own RJ Barrett is a playoff game against the Cleveland Cavaliers? Ah, uh, you know what? <laughs> Here's what, what I'm loyal to the Cavs are country. You know, I'm, I, I can, uh, I can, I can tap dance with the best of them. I can uh, rock the fence with the best of them. So here, let me go. RJ doing that broke my heart in the moment, but it forced the Cavs to approach this offseason with the seriousness they needed to add the guys they needed to add to have the internal growth that they needed. So you know what? It's a damn win-win, Andrew. Kick, save, and abuse. Well done. Mm. I loved it. Um, so we talked about quickly. We talked about RJ. This is now when we talk about who the Knicks could potentially trade them for. In a Let's go trade, in a trade in the future. <laughs> I don't have too much on this because my God, we get to. Are we just going to talk about Donovan Mitchell every single time we do a pod and his potential not extension with the Cavs this upcoming summer? And like we do have eighty. Well, I guess 79 games of basketball to get through because I don't think they're obviously not going to trade him in season. No, I think the Knicks have a bigger fish that they're paying more attention to attention to in Philadelphia that they're going to see if he becomes available first. Mm -hmm. But I I guess the question I want to ask is less about like, are you afraid that he might ask out or say I'm not extending and next summer becomes a thing? It's more like, does the fact that that's even in play put any type of cloud over this season? Or has it solely just been like, we're only worried about this season right now for both the Cavs, because I know you're you're closer to the team than a normal fan, and mm-hmm. just Cavs fans in general? Yeah, it's funny because I, I would say it. The conversation occurs more on Twitter than it does like in our Discord or, or you know, when I'm mm-hmm. talking to Carter on the side or anything like that. Like, really not something I think a whole lot about because I think this was just always baked into it. Like this has always been part of the understanding uh, when you traded for Mitchell was all right, you got a couple of years to to sell him on it. And um like one of the interesting things too, because it is a two-way street, like if Garland takes the leap that you expect this season and Mobley takes the leap you expect this season, that's going to raise questions about the pairing with Jared Allen. And it's going to raise questions about the pairing with Donovan Mitchell from that perspective. Now, I would say given how well those four worked together last year, that it would be a plus to both of those. I still believe in those partnerships, but like from a roster construction standpoint, this is always going to be Darius Garland's offense. And this is going to be Evan Mobley's defense. Mm. And Donovan Mitchell is probably always going to be the leading scorer on this roster. But Garland, when you look at how many points he accounts for per game, both from scoring and off of assists, he accounts for more. You look at the on-off stats. It was Garland by a mile last year. And and Jared Allen was high up there as well. Shout out to Jared. Um, But, you know, you're going to learn more about those individual fits. So um, I don't think about it a whole lot because like, the thing with Donovan Mitchell is he's a good playmaker for a shooting guard, but as a point guard, he comes up short. So that means he's always going to be playing in an undersized backcourt. If you're going to have an undersized backcourt, no matter what with Donovan Mitchell, you need to have backline defense. And the Cavs have that with Mobley and Allen. And I think his biggest priority is winning. So if the Cavs do their part and um, it's clear to him that this is the best situation to go out there and win, that I, I think it's going to result in an extension. If the Cavs don't do like if they don't take the leaps that we expect and that, you know, makes it a murky situation and doesn't want to sign an extension, they're going to have to evaluate whether they're on the same timeline that they thought they were on and whether or not, you know, trading him is in their best interest as well as his. Right. Like there's so many ways that this can go. But if you're asking me to bet, I I think that there's going to be an extension and maybe you reevaluate a couple years into it. But I think that this is is the best situation uh, from a roster standpoint. I think from a Knicks standpoint, there's other targets that make more sense. um, And we'll we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. The pairing with Brunson, because you mentioned a small backcourt, and that I think is the the concern a lot of Knicks fans have. That's why a lot... I I honestly think it was 50-50 last summer when it was like, do you go all in for Mitchell or not? Especially when it would have been RJ plus quickly plus Mitchell Robinson and all the picks. Yeah. 
you just didn't know if you were further enough in your development with all these players to make that kind of all-in move. And then it's Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, and Donovan Mitchell, which good luck playing defense in any game in the yeah. not distant future. Um, and yeah, I like think Garland's like Garland's a much better defender than Brunson. Like you, it, you oh. look at like defensive EPM, and it's Drew Holiday, Marcus Smart. Fred Van Vliet as the only real like high usage point guards ahead of Garland in yeah. defensive EPM. Like um, I, I think him adding strength is going to help. And I, like my hope for him has always been get to the Curry zone because, you know, Curry yeah, still won a championship running every single play at him because, you know, you're six, two. And uh, if you're switching everything and we can get LeBron on you every single time, we're going to do that. But if you can at least hold your own within a team defensive scheme, I think that's all you really want from a, from a point guard. Yeah, I think the only way I personally would be okay with the Knicks entering into a conversation like this for Mitchell again is if the price came down significantly. And I don't I don't know if the Cavs are in a position to not ask for everything in yeah. well, is that where you see that I, w- I, I want to just so. play it out once. Like the, they the Knicks aren't gonna be like, well, he's leaving in a year. So you have to like you're not getting three picks, you're not getting two picks in this yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, they, I think it would go very similar to the Dame uh, trade thing, right? Where, all right, let's see if someone else is willing to do it. Let's see. Oh, can we get a, a third team in here and, and reroute the, the mm-hmm. Knicks assets and, uh, you know, go after some other disgruntled player, like, a, let's say, a Brandon Ingram, if he became available, right? Like, there's a lot of ways that the, this can go. But, yeah, I, I, I think this summer really showed that, teams are still going to take whatever offers in their best interest. And the next low ball to the extent that the Miami Heat did reportedly, um, mm-hmm. that could open up the bidding for other players, right? Like Miami would probably be in that mix. Brooklyn's going to be in that mix. I, I would expect, you know, LA and other teams to, to come bidding as well. So I think there would be interest if it ever got there, but and I, I just don't think you see a lot of players hit unrestricted free agency and, like Donovan Mitchell played such a big role in the Cavs offseason too of like recruiting Max Struess and saying, Hey, come sign a four-year contract, recruiting George Niang, like mm. involved with the front office, hosting the entire team uh, out to do private training camps and workouts at, at his home out in Connecticut, right? Like all this kind of stuff that that really shows a buy-in. And for me, like part of why I don't stress about it is like this is reality of modern team building and the modern NBA. Like if you're going to be a good team, it means you're going to have players that are coveted. And if you don't do a good enough job from team building or, or your development gets stunted for one reason or another, teams are going to try to poach your guys. Like you can't take it personally. Like Embiid's in Philly glamour market. He's still the subject of trade rumors all the time. Giannis won a ring in Milwaukee. He's still with the, the subject of trade rumors. Jalen Brown in, in Boston is the subject of trade rumors. He signs an extension. And the first thing uh, out of people's mouth on ESPN is, oh, well, how many years into this before they trade him? Like, that's just today's NBA. You can't take it personal. Yeah, with respect to and like Howard Beck's a friend of the pod. What the, what he wrote right after the the Giannis extension? Yeah, and it it was like, can we not write right yeah. after? The, and I, I and I love Howard leave Beck. too. But yeah. you know what that really felt like? It felt like someone's like wedding toast being like, hey, you know, fifty percent of these end in divorce. Exactly. Like yes. that's exactly <laughs> what it felt like. Like we don't need to be doing this right now. Everyone knows that if things go wrong, it can fall apart. That is the relationship. That's all relationships in life. You don't need to be doing this. Yeah, I think the only caveat to comparing it to the Dame situation, the Cavs aren't going to be in a situation like the Blazers where they're just like the the wind ceiling doesn't matter. You know, like the Blazers are solely building around Scoot. So that's why I think for Knicks fans, now there are a lot of Knicks fans who just want to see Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett be on this team for the rest of their careers. But the fact of the matter is like if the Knicks have healthy rotation players to trade to the Cavs and it's obvious that Mitchell doesn't want to stay there, then maybe there's a trade partner there. I, I was very steadfast that Giannis is never leaving Milwaukee if they make a trade and then they traded for Damon. He extended. I'm allowed to like be right about that. Um, I'm reading tea leaves about Mitchell and you're part of the tea leaves. So if you're telling me there's buy in there, I'm going to be like, okay, like someone in tune mm-hmm. with the Cavaliers more so than I am is saying there's buy in. Um, 
I am curious what happens. Like what, it, it, like how much this season, how how this season goes will I guess determine somewhat of what I expect next season goes. I'm sure that's the same in in your corner as well. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so. it, it'll it'll be interesting. I mean, I I always consider the source, and like I, I feel like Bill Simmons has called like 17 different things the worst kept secret in the league, like mm-hmm. many times. Like I, I'm pretty. Oh, sure. you want to know the best one? That Katie and Kyrie are going to the Knicks in 2019. Man, I, best I, kept secret. Now they did go to New York, and who knows what happens if he doesn't tear his Achilles? But yeah, there there was a lot of rumors and yeah, uh, scuttlebutt. Like everybody what, said that. Yeah, but who with, knows if he didn't get hurt? So who knows there? But hey, whether it's you know Carl Anthony Towns is being traded on draft night and, and it's a done deal, it's worst kept secret in the lead. Like it, it, there's so many things like that. Like it, it, we'll, mm. we'll we'll see what happens, but even. Like, even if he's 100% bought in right now or 100% not bought it, like, there is such a long time until the end of the season. So much can change. So many developments can happen. Uh, you know, breakouts always impact the hierarchy within guys in a certain team. So it'll be interesting to, to see what ends up happening. But yeah, it's not something I'm stressing about, man. Like, it's, I think some Cavs fans still have like LeBron PTSD, but like mm. this is this is just different. It just is, and he still has another year on his contract after this. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, hey, you know, like fans agreed in extension, but you know, we we have a first round pick. Uh, I think they would be able to trade a second first round pick on on draft night as well. If I'm not mistaken, they'd have middle level exception. Like they have avenues to improve their team, so maybe they, you know play with fire if there's no good offers and all right we're going to go until the trade deadline and see uh if we can ride this out and see if you know we've taken another step forward and give ourselves 18 months uh to settle this rather than 12. all right knicks fans we had the donovan mitchell conversation the knicks and Cavs are going to play three more times i guess two more times throughout the regular season because we're getting two of these games out of the way now we're not talking about this with justin for the rest of the season. We're just going to talk about basketball going forward. And I, that's my promise to you as well, my friend, that we're not going to talk about, hey, can I, how is your player going to get traded to my team? Um, mm-hmm. We're going to yeah. make it about you know, matchups. Basketball, there's nothing interesting to talk about. Like, who cares about the game, right? Like, let's, right, let's right. just turn this into Transaction tabloid, talk. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so one last, one last question I have for you. Shout out to the, the Hoop Collective, which is where I get my, my tea leaves from as far as the, <laughs> the sources can be considered. Um, I've been doing this thing with my pregame pod to start the season where it's like a Mount Rushmore from the other person's perspective because like the Knicks don't have this. Uh, I don't, we don't have your perspective of like who the four greatest Cavs are, who the four biggest oh rivals God. are. So for this one, because I think for four greatest Cavs, I want to give you some time to think about it. Instead, let me ask you about rivalries. Who are the four teams on the schedule that you go to every year where it's like, and maybe the Knicks have entered into this after the playoffs last they are, year. Yep, yep. Oh, they are. Okay. Yep, so yep, the, oh, yeah. the, the Knicks are in there. The other three teams that you're like, okay, we're circling this. I can't wait for the Cavs to play them. Who are those rivals? My bias is going to come into this. Of course. Um, so I will try to, you know, speak on behalf of Cavs fans, but it's going to be, you know, the Cavs fans in our Discord. Uh, Warriors are obviously are always going to be there, especially with, with Steph. Uh, and, really? And so, Even so with many, LeBron gone? Yes, there's still so many familiar faces there. Like, okay. he, you know, like well, I more meant like from the Cavs perspective, you know, like the Cavs don't have the same familiar oh, faces I, I from don't, that rivalry. Yeah, I, I don't think the Cavs have that. Like, this group, you know, you're you're still looking to to build those. I'm I'm doing it strictly from a fan perspective. So so, so just to, to to match it, like even after, uh, so to go to baseball, like as a Mets fan, no matter what team Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley went to, I was like, I hate them. They're Phillies forever. Even though they're on the Dodgers now, mm-hmm. I hate them because even though the Cavs roster has had turnover, Steph, Draymond, and Clay are still. They're still in there, man. Golden State. I have scars from those four years that they're, yeah. they're never going to go away. Yeah. Like, I, I, even last year, like, you know, they, they had the game in Golden State. 
Cavs had the lead and Clay completely decks Okoro with, with a moving screen and mm. more of a shoulder check and, and Steph hits the three off of that movement and that's what ends up kind of being the deciding play. Missed call, we get you know the last few minute report and whatnot and, and Steph's running down the court with the mouthpiece uh, hanging out of his mouth. Yeah, no, there's they still, there's, there's room okay. for hate in my heart there. Uh, I think I know another team then. I think I know one other team. Knicks obviously are, are there. Uh, I think okay. this is I think this is the start of a beautiful thing. I think this is going to be a rivalry uh, between two teams that are set up for long-term success. And I think the Cavs are going to be a good team for a long time with or without Donovan Mitchell. Um, so I, I think that's going to be over there. Toronto Raptors, man. Well, okay. Yeah. Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Tor- Toronto Raptors. It's personal. Um, a lot probably has more to do with, um, their fans more than the players. I like the players. You know, so the, la- the, the, the Hawks fan TV, Pod I did the the Hawks crowd pregame pod said the exact same thing. Like I like Canadians, Hawk the Raptors fans annoy me, and I, I I've never had that type of run in. But maybe than the rest of Canada. It, okay, it's, it's a thing. It's separate them, separate them okay. in your mind. We're we're a great country except for Toronto. No, I'm <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'd say Toronto, and then fourth probably Atlanta. Like I, I think yeah. that okay. I think there's actual on court oh. like animosity there too. You know the, the play in. Um, these teams seem to really get up for one another and uh, kind of occupied the same space for a while in terms of, you know, young teams building up. So I'd say Atlanta is probably the other one. What's your, your four here? Well, I thought you were going to Miami because of the, no. the LeBron South none. Beach. None, none, no animosity nothing. for Miami. Wow. Nothing. Absolutely nothing for Miami. Like I, That's I respect Miami. They're, they're great. Like, you know, um, Kevin Love going there, like, Good, good for him. I, I, I wish him all the best, but now nah, there, there's nothing there, man. They, wow. they hate us, but I, I feel nothing. <laughs> Why do they hate you? Oh, they don't like LeBron going back to Cleveland. Uh, that, okay. that was something they, they don't, they don't like how the tone shifted with, Hey, this is a great story rather than, you know, them trying to play the villain. I, I think they still, if I could psychoanalyze my Twitter feed, I, I think they really thought the decision backlash was about them rather than, mm. you know, LeBron, which LeBron hates follows them even in LA. Um, it's really key to their identity, but no, we, I feel nothing. I, I, I respect okay. Miami, love Miami fans. They're great. Well, so you I, don't I feel- so I, in, in the words of Bane, I was born in the darkness. I was molded by it. Yeah. Um, my Nick's inception into more Christopher Nolan references, my yeah. inception into uh, basketball fandom Those was the Knicks heat rivalries in yeah. the late nineties. So that became what I got excited by basketball for the first time. Uh, that wasn't Michael Jordan related. And then they meet in, well, so it's complicated for two years. Best kept secret, quote unquote, Bill Simmons was that LeBron's going to leave the Cavs and go to the Knicks when the decision happened. Oh yeah. I remember where he go. And obviously where he, well, I'm sure you remember, sorry. <laughs> um, where he went instead was instead of the Knicks was took his talents to South beach. So there's that thing that Cavs, that Cavs fans, that heat fans have been like the Knicks were supposed to get, LeBron and create a big three and you got Amari Stoudemire and then you had to mm-hmm. trade a ton of assets for Melo and then they make in the playoffs two years later and then they're the one and the two seed but the Knicks lose to the Pacers and then last year's playoffs happen so the Heat remain my number one team I circle on the schedule and then it's funny you didn't mention a single team in your division does does that not come into into play at all the division matchups because you do see them the most throughout the season yeah like there was it with Detroit for a while, and then that just fell off, which, you know, that was a formative rivalry for me. I, mm-hmm. I actually really liked those Detroit teams. I just liked rooting against them as well. Um, just like it never came up. Like, you know, mm-hmm. LeBron came back and beat Chicago in five. Like, that's fine. Um, no big deal there. Milwaukee, you know, you, you kind of have the, the non-glamour market love. Like, hey, I, we're happy you guys won a, a title. That's great. Good for you. No, it, this, there's not enough of it. I, I, I want to bring back division rivalries and, and you know, maybe a, a playoff series against the Bucks would bring that in, into reality again, but it's just not there right now. Yeah, I think for the New York, at least it's Boston's one, but one for a lot of people not named me. Yeah. Um, the New York Boston thing crosses over into every sport. Um, yeah. Jet Pats, Giants Pats. Um, 
like red, like Yankees Red Sox, but also like the Mets and Red Sox played in '86. Like if yeah. you want to hurt a Red, if you want to hurt a Boston fan, put up the picture of the ball going through his legs, and then and of course the Bruins against both New York hockey teams. You like, know what? That might be part of it. Like I'm not a Browns fan, but when you look at oh they're divisional, okay, Pittsburgh, no, Cincinnati, no, no right? Like you don't really. Um, Baltimore, no, yeah, yeah, Baltimore, no, yeah, yeah. So you, you don't have any of that crossover into basketball. Yeah, there's the. So go back to football, Jets, Dolphins, like that's again a crossover. So yep. Miami kind of comes into play. Um, so it it's really Miami, and then there's some people that still don't like the Lakers because of like even further Knicks inceptions into uh, basketball because of the late the late '60s, early '70s. Uh, but it's mostly like there's this growing one with Brooklyn that I've just never had an attachment to. It's partially because I don't know a Brooklyn Nets fan in real life. Um, but that's a, that's a helpful component for sure. I just like the, the reason I don't like a lot of fan bases is because I hear from them a lot. I don't like I know a couple from doing this pod and they're usually pretty polite and cordial. Like it's not I've never been annoyed by a Nets fan. I know I I got an I know they exist now because I made a, a we had a bit where I was just laughing at the Nets when everything was going wrong with them last summer. Um, but other than that, I I don't really have the animosity for them like I would uh, uh, Boston or Philadelphia or even the Heat. I guess to be honest, at this point, even the Cavs, which I don't know if there's necessarily animosity, but like you said, this could be the start of a beautiful rivalry if they. Uh, meet up in the playoffs and we'll start with them meeting up on Tuesday and Wednesday night, Halloween and the day after Halloween. Uh, you doing anything for Halloween other than watching the Knicks play the Cavs? Live pot after. I mean, live pot after. <laughs> my, 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 my feelings of whether or not I'm going to enjoy that live pod have shifted in the last uh, hour or so. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we'll see. I, I kind of expect the, the starting lineup if I had to guess. Hopefully Mitchell plays, um, but if he does, it'll be Mitchell, Struess, Okoro, Wade, and Mobley would be my guess. Um, You're aware of the Dean Wade bit in New York, well, at least at Nick's film school with what happened? No, n- not not uh, like I remember. There, there was something with uh, Fred. Um, yeah, Fred b- b- before the the series. So, I, it, before the series started, it was a long summer. Okay, cut me some slack. Oh, believe me, I I mine was too. Believe me. Um, before the series started, Fred Katz came on our pod and said that him and John did a ranking of That's like right. the top 12 players in the series. And he put Dean Wade ahead of RJ Barrett. And then RJ had the series he had. And since then, like not, not as good as Dean Wade is what RJ Barrett's been. It's just been brought up every single time RJ Barrett has a good game. Someone should have warned Fred that his shoulder was completely hooped Mm -hmm. and he couldn't lift his arm. (laughs) Or just like the internet doesn't forget. Like it's it's less about Dean Wade and it's way more about what RJ's been since that prediction. It doesn't. Fred, I love you. We've all taken some swings and and you know what? That that one happened to miss. But you know Mm -hmm. what? Dean Wade is back. He is in action. Miss miss the first game of the year too. He he, he had the uh, the flu. Uh, he said he was housing a whole bag of cough drops before mm. the uh, before the last game. But you know he's back to his regular self. You know providing very good defense, shooting forty percent from three. Uh, hoping he can stay healthy because uh, he might be important. Well, we'll see how Dean Wade does in this matchup, potentially against RJ Barrett on the other uh, on both Tuesday and Wednesday night, uh, as well as the rest of the cast of characters that are familiar from last year's playoff matchup, which include Justin uh, over from the Chase Down. Thank you for joining me, as always, my friend. Before we get out of here, plug all the play. If people at Nick's Film School don't remember the fine work that the Chase Down did in the playoffs last year, shame on you. Mm-hmm. But go ahead and tell them where they can find all of your stuff. Folks, it is almost 2024. If you don't know where to find podcasts yet, I'm very concerned. <laughs> but wherever you found this podcast, you can find the Chase Down. You can find us on the Cavs YouTube channel. And uh, if you're an audio-only guy like myself, you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Awesome. Thanks as always, Justin. No problem. Thanks for having me. Once again, a big thank you to Justin for coming on today's show and helping me preview this upcoming matchup against the Cavaliers. This back-to-back against the Cavaliers. You know what to do by now. Head on over to the Chase Town podcast feeds, whether it be Spotify or iTunes. Give them a five-star rating and a review. Say you appreciated Justin coming on the KFS pod or 
say Nixon five. Remind him who won in the first round last year. Uh, Justin's a good podcaster. He's a, he's really good at what he does in this industry, and I respect him a ton. And I can't wait to go on his pod on Thursday. If you want to check that out, I'll be live with him on the Chase Down on Thursday. I believe it's six p.m. I believe it's live. I actually don't know that. Uh, don't quote me that it's live, but I'm going on the chase down after these two games. We'll recap what happened between the Knicks and the Cavs. That'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. I will be back with this show on Friday morning. So before the Knicks play the Bucks in the first ever in-season tournament matchup, potentially on the worst court that you've ever seen. Although Friday, I believe, is in Milwaukee. And I don't think their court is that bad. But if you haven't seen yet, just look up the special courts that are going to be designed uh, for these these in-season tournament games. God help the NBA. Until next time, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. And I'll speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.